I hear all the time. Like, don't seek external validation, validation outside of yourself. That's not a good thing, but it's normal. It's normal to, to need to be validated. Have you ever started dating someone and then one day they just don't return your calls? A day goes by and still nothing. You text and they just don't text you back. Do you start to question if it's something you've done? If it's you? Or do you tell yourself it's inconsiderate and it's their loss? Here's another one for you guys. You're on a date that you've been looking forward to for ages. You spent hours getting ready, you've chosen the perfect outfit, and you gotta say, you're feeling pretty damn good. But they don't say anything. Not a peep. Do you start to feel worse about yourself, or do you not care? You feel good, and that's all that matters. Guys, I think it's safe to say we all want and deserve to be seen in a relationship, to be noticed, to be heard, to be valued. But sometimes, on the days we don't feel good about ourselves, on the days we just feel insecure, on those days, the lines between them not valuing you and your need for them to value you become blurry. But lucky for us, today's love expert is here to help us break down and understand our human need to seek validation and how we don't let that hold us back from showing up firstly for ourselves as well as our relationship. A licensed therapist, life coach and speaker, this woman is dedicated to mental wellness and healing in order to create healthy, loving relationships. So guys, please help me in welcoming the woman whose Instagram is changing relationships one post at a time, the love therapist herself, Jordan Green. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm so excited to be here and to talk uh, with you. Ditto, girl. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, I heard something that you said and I was like, I must start the interview with this. So when we're talking about validation, feeling valued, um, I think of it as two parts. It's one, doing the work internally for ourselves and making sure that we have a foundation for ourselves to feel valued. And then secondly, that addressing the line in a relationship where it is their responsibility to show you that you're valued, um, but your self-esteem isn't relying on it. And I want to go to something that you said that you said when you first started, um, when clients first started coming to you and you would ask them, the first question is, what is your main strengths and what is it that you love about yourself? And your shocking answer, if you wouldn't mind sharing it with my audience, and then I really want to dive deep into it. Yeah. So I always ask my clients, what do you love about yourself? What are some of your strengths? And I've been so surprised because a lot of people really struggle to even come up with one thing that they love about themselves, one strength. And so that's something that I always work with my clients on is, is building themselves up and finding things that they love about themselves, knowing their strengths, because that helps them in their own life, but also in all of your relationships. If you know what you have to bring to the table and the value that you bring to a relationship, it's going to make that relationship that much better. Uh, yeah, I love that. So what is your advice then on those first steps for someone to really start looking at how they value themselves first um, before they even maybe even enter a relationship? Yeah, I mean, there's, there are always things that we can find to appreciate about ourselves. Um, it can be as simple as I love that I exist. <laughs> you know, it's so simple. It's so, so, so simple. I love that I exist. Um, I encourage people to write love letters to themselves, love letters to their bodies. 
um, practicing affirmations and just affirming and validating yourself every single day. And sometimes we, the self affirmations start with, I accept that, that, that I'm struggling with this right now. I accept that I am where I am and that's okay. And we work towards affirmations that are more of, I love myself. I love that. Um, I have the courage to show up here today. I have love that I have the courage to, to share my gifts with the world and, and to, to go about my day and, and experience connection with others. Okay. That's amazing. So now let's take it into, you've done the work and now you're, you're entering a relationship. How do you um, marry the two, A, when, when I mean marry the two, making sure that your value system, how you see yourself, your self-esteem isn't fragile so that when you enter the relationship that it becomes, um, let's say, on um, on shaky ground or fragile when you're in a relationship that maybe someone isn't paying you the attention that you should deserve or that you need. I think, I think it's totally normal to, to seek validation from the people around us. We all want to be accepted, right? And sometimes we just need to be reassured that we're still connected to the people that we love. So when we're seeking validation, we're really seeking connection. And it can be incredibly healing to receive validation and be reminded of our goodness and value in a relationship. And val you know, validation is actually a communication skill that's really important. It helps people to feel heard and understood and appreciated, and it can calm fears and anxieties, and it can help to repair the relationship when there's been a rupture. And so validation is a skill that, that I think everyone should learn how to validate each other. And it's okay to sometimes feel like you need validation from the people around you. The issue is that when, when we need validation from others to feel lovable and worthy, and when our self-worth is based on that external validation, it can become an issue because when that happens, we're essentially putting the other person on a pedestal and there's a power differential there. And so it's also an issue when we're, we're so eager for that validation that we allow others to dictate our feelings and how we behave and live our lives. So sometimes when we're seeking validation, we're just needing a little more safety and connection and reassurance in the relationship. And it's, and that's okay. It's normal. We're all, we all kind of seek validation um, from others. And when we're seeking that external validation, we can be very externally focused on the relationship and it can be helpful to look within and get clear about why we're seeking that, val that validation, what's going on at the core of it. And if it's, you know, some self-esteem issues, that's okay because there may be a really great opportunity there to learn something about yourself and to connect with yourself and to learn more about yourself and learn how to love yourself and that relationship. Um, so if that's something that is like recurring in relationships is struggling with self-esteem or needing a lot of validation from another person, it can, it just helps to validate yourself more. And because the more you love yourself and the more that you validate yourself, the more confident you are. I love Jordan, love, love, love that you say it's okay to seek validation in other people. You know, I'm always trying to grow and evolve and I'm always, every episode I ever do, I end with be the hero of your own life because I do believe that all of my strength needs to start with from within. But at the same time, I've been with my husband for 20 years and we've been married for 18. And it's like, I absolutely do turn to him for certain things. And it has been a process for me to, um, to really go through, you know, it's okay to lean on them. It's okay to look for certain things. Um, but it sometimes can be detrimental if you're giving everything over. And where is that fine line between being independent, being confident, being your own person 
and not relying on other people to give you your own self-esteem and at the same time absolutely saying yes it's okay that you look to other people and yes we should be um, expecting a certain amount of validation or value from our partner. So when saying it's okay to look for validation from somebody else, how do you do that and know you're not spilling into neediness and not having the own, your own strength to do it yourself? Yeah. Well, and it's not a black or white thing, right? It's not, it isn't bad to seek validation. It's totally normal to want to be validated by others. And when our self-worth is tied to that validation, we have an issue because our self-esteem is then based on something that's external and out of our control. I hear all the time, like, don't seek external validation, validation outside of yourself. That's not a good thing, but it's normal. It's normal to, to need to be validated. And especially in relationships, it's um, a, a really important part of a healthy relationship. Um, and so, you know, in all relationships, there's a balance between me and you and us. There are three parts, right? Me, you, us. And healthy relationships have a balance between all of those parts. So if you're too dependent, you become enmeshed and there isn't much individuality and you begin to over-sacrifice your needs for theirs. Your boundaries get blurred. Maybe there's an over-reliance. You may not spend much time away from the relationship or have many friends or hobbies and all kinds of issues arise. And, and sometimes then our sense of identity is um, really, really tied to the relationship. It's just, there's a really big, big enmeshment there. But then on the other end of the spectrum, if you're too independent, you begin to lack connection and your relationship may become emotionally distant and lack, and lack intimacy. So then your sense of identity or self-worth or validation is maybe um, not tied at all to the relationship. And so I think there's a healthy, there's a healthy middle ground and all couples have to learn that balance between me and we and, and find that healthy balance. And that's what we call interdependence. There's a healthy individual and a healthy couple identity. And interdependence allows you to express love without sacrificing yourself. And in interdependent relationships, there is a lot of validation. There is a healthy couple identity, but you don't lose that sense of me in the relationship. And um, and that allows for good cooperation and communication and compromise. And you'll have healthy boundaries that are maintained that create emotional safety. So finding that interdependence, I think, is really key. And that's that's that can be a really healthy balance. But it really isn't black or white because it looks different for every couple. Oh, I love that you say that. Like, it's like I'm always looking for that one key insight. And then ultimately, I always know it's never black and white and it's never just one thing. Right. So it's like the playing of the both. Um, I've heard you talk about communication. And when I heard you say this, that I was like, what? You said it's um, right now. Studies are showing that it's between 70 to 93 percent of our communication is non verbal um i found that extremely fascinating because i'm always talking about verbal communication identifying words what words mean to you how words matter things like that and when you when you said that stat, i was like wow okay we i really want to go deep on the how do you do the non-verbal communication um and I heard you say a study, I believe it was the Gottman Institute study where they followed um, couples for six years. And can you um, tell my audience about that study and then the results and how that is a great indicator of how we should be um, behaving, if you will? 
Yeah, so like a lot of communication is nonverbal, and oftentimes we overlook the nonverbal communication when we're talking about communication skills and how we communicate. And a huge, huge, huge thing is, is turning towards someone when we are communicating with them. How often, when someone's trying to talk to you, are you looking away or looking at your phone? Um, are you not looking at them? And, and so that's just making eye contact, turning towards there are really simple things that we can do to improve our nonverbal communication and really send um, signs of engagement and safety to the other person when they're communicating with us, showing them that we're curious and that we're interested. And so the Gottman Institute has done tons of research on couples and um, they follow couples you know, over six years, they'll follow couples, they'll check in five years after marriage, 10 years. And um, to really see, they're trying to figure out what works in relationships and what doesn't. And so um, in their research, they found that there are four types of communication that predict the end of a relationship. So the first type of communication that predicts the end of a relationship is criticism. And we all know what criticism sound like. sounds like. It's, you never help with the cleaning. You're so forgetful. Or you never consider me. And you'll notice that criticism almost always starts with the word you. And I found that when one partner is trying to bring something up that they want to talk to the, the other person about, maybe it's something that they're wanting to change. Um, they do it by criticizing and use statements. And I see that all the time. And we can predict the way that a conversation will go 96% of the time based on the first three minutes of the conversation. The first three minutes determines how this conversation is going to go. So it's really important to learn how to start a conversation well. And how often do we, do we try to bring something up with a criticism by criticizing someone? And so instead of starting a conversation with you, um, you statements, like you didn't do this or you're this or, or, you know, there are so many you statements. That we, say. <laughs> we have a lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Um, I give couples a formula to use that starts with I and the formula is I feel blank about blank. I need blank. So for example, instead of criticizing and saying, you never help with the dishes, you can say, I feel overwhelmed about the dishes. I need some help. And it's even better if you end with appreciation or a compliment because it helps your partner to feel appreciated and loved and they're more likely to help you out. And so then contempt is the second type of communication. And this is the single greatest predictor of divorce, according to the Gottman Institute's research. And contempt looks like mocking the other person, ridiculing them, calling them names and insulting them or uh, mimicking or using sarcasm or rolling your eyes. Those are all examples and signs of contempt. And it's really just a disregard for the other person that comes from a belief of moral superiority. So it's fueled by negative thoughts about the other person. And an example of contempt would be rolling your eyes and saying, I get it. You don't have to tell me a million times. Do you think I can't hear or something? Um, that's one that I've heard and I, that one's that one's rough. And so the antidote to contempt is building a culture of appreciation and respect in your relationship by reminding yourself of the other person's positive qualities and why you love them and expressing appreciation and feeling gratitude for what they're doing right. It's looking for what they're doing right and assuming the best rather than assuming that they have bad intentions and then doing small positive things for them every day to show that you love them. Man, contempt is such a strong topic. And I believe 
it becomes a stacking stone. It's not just that you wake up one day and then all of a sudden you have contempt for somebody. So what do you do or how do you prevent contempt? So you actually said, you know, saying nice things to someone like maybe on a daily basis or things like that. Like, that's great. But how do you prevent someone else for having contempt for you? You can't, right? We can't control others' behaviors. We can't control others' thoughts. We can we can set boundaries and and ask for respect in communication. Um, we can ask them, hey, can we retry this? Can you, you know, or say, I'm feeling I'm feeling attacked right now, or um, I'm feeling hurt by the way that you communicated that. Can we can we try again and and, and reconnect? And so there are ways you can't control whether or not they feel contempt or express contempt, but we can we can set boundaries and we can ask for respectful and kind communication. Wow. I really like that. So if you're sensing contempt in your partner, kind of stop, address it, say, Hey, you've really, you know, express how you feel about that. I think that's super important. Um, and then highlight it. Cause here's, I think what a lot of people do myself included back before I had a growth mindset. Um, I would ignore it. Right. I would ignore the contempt. Or, and it will just start to build inside me, build inside me, build inside me, right? People start, he keeps giving me the dirty look, but it's like, oh, it must be in my imagination. And you end up ignoring it until one day it ends up becoming like the, the biggest fracture in your relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And it usually does. It builds up slowly over time. If we don't address it immediately, it, you know, it kind of sits in the back of our minds and then it happens again and again and again. And that's where we start building these protective walls that create distance. Mm -hmm. Mm. um, we, you know, naturally we're, we're wanting to protect ourselves. If we're feeling attacked or if we're feeling like the other person is expressing contempt, we might get defensive. And that's the third one is defensiveness. And that's really a way that we try to protect ourselves by reversing the blame and making it seem like it's the other person's fault. And this almost always escalates conflict because when one person gets defensive, usually the other person does too. And so we combat defensiveness by taking responsibility for our actions and getting curious and trying to understand where is the other person coming from? What is their perspective? And can you set aside your own thoughts and feelings for a moment to try to understand where they're coming from? Can you feel empathy for how they're feeling? And can you take responsibility for your part in the conflict or in the situation and offer an apology if it's needed? Yeah, that's so true. Um, I'm curious on what the fourth one is. Yeah, the fourth one is stonewalling, which is shutting down and withdrawing because you're emotionally overwhelmed. And when stonewalling happens, your nervous system is flooded, which means that your heart rate is increased and you're in fight or flight or your sympathetic nervous system's activated, your, your body releases stress hormones, and now you've dropped down into a free state. And when you're in a free state, you'll usually stop responding. Um, you'll turn away. Maybe you'll act busy or you'll tune the other person out and pretend like you can't hear them. And you're really just trying to avoid confrontation and you're shutting down in self-protection. And stonewalling is especially frustrating to the other person because usually they take this to mean that you don't care because it seems like you don't care. And so how we address stonewalling is we take a 20-minute break to self-soothe. And I say 20 minutes because research has found that it takes an average of 20 minutes for your body to calm down and for your nervous system to regulate when it's dysregulated so, or when you're flooded. So take a break, plan a time to come back to the conversation and spend those 20 minutes practicing self-care or doing something that will help you to regulate and soothe your nervous system. And something that's interesting is that research has found that women tend to criticize more and men are more likely to stonewall. Hmm. 
That doesn't surprise me, to be honest. Um, you just mentioned flooding, but I've never really heard much about it. Can you talk to me a little about flooding? Yeah, so flooding is when we are, we have our, our neuroception is always looking for cues of danger and cues of safety. And if we are getting some signs of danger, usually we are in conflict. Um, our neuroception is always asking, is this, is this person safe? Can I trust them? Do they care about me? And if we start to feel like they don't care, or um, if we have any cues of danger, our nervous system will go into fight or flight and our sympathetic nervous system gets activated. And so typically then our heart rate will increase, um, blood pressure sometimes increases. We start to feel emotionally overwhelmed. We can, we can feel anxious. And so when we get flooded, we'll either fight or flight. And if we feel like neither of those are going to work, we'll shut down and we'll, we'll drop down into that freeze state that we talked about. And, um, and that's typically when stonewalling happens, but the key is to learn how to regulate your nervous system. If you notice that you're starting to get activated and flooded, um, to take a break, to self-soothe, to regulate your nervous system, because if you're flooded, your prefrontal cortex, um, is, is essentially offline. We're not able to think clearly. We're not really able to fully listen to another person and understand where they're coming from because we're in that survival mode and all of our protective defenses are up. Uh, yeah, I love that, um, that breakdown. And then I've heard you say one way of just kind of eliminating it is just like give, a give, give your partner a hug. Yeah, yeah. Give your partner a hug, um, make a repair attempt turning towards the other person to co-regulate a hug is a way to co-regulate. So we can, we can self-regulate, which means we self-soothe, um, breathing exercises are a really great way to self-regulate, uh, progressive muscle relaxation. Um, there are a lot of different ways that you can regulate your own nervous system, but we can also co-regulate or regulate our nervous systems with another person when we're flooded to help us calm down. And so a hug is one way to do that. Um, taking a deep breath together, just pausing to repair and send some cues of safety and remind each other that you care in that moment, because that will help your body to feel more safe. And that will help your nervous system to relax a little bit more so you can shift back into that parasympathetic, safe and social state. Yeah, that's, there's something, the power of a hug. And that's the one thing that bums me out about um, COVID is I'm such a hugger and I got so much pleasure out of hugging people that um, it's sadly no longer something I can regularly do. But there is something to a hug. I, I totally agree there. Um, so the studies on the Gottman Institute, you said that they followed couples six years after they were got married and the per people that ended in divorce um, turned out they were only turning towards each other 33% of the time. And the couples that ended up in a successful, happy marriage turned towards each other 86% of the time. Yeah. Like just turn towards. Yeah, turning towards. And so we make bids for connection um, to our partners, to, to people um, all the time, whether it's just saying, hey, look at this, or asking a question, or anytime we're, we're talking to someone, we're making an effort to connect with them. And so they, they observed couples and they noticed that that the couples that didn't last, they didn't turn towards each other. And the couples that did last, when 
when one partner tried to get their attention, they turned towards them. They responded. They put down what they were doing. They looked up, looked at the other person and responded. And, um, I've had to be, I've started to be very aware of that in my relationships. If someone is seeking my attention, am I making them the priority or am I making whatever else I'm doing the priority and, and where are our priorities here? And it's so, so important to respond and to turn towards each other when someone's seeking your attention. Yeah. And I actually heard someone quite a long time ago, actually, um, it was like a study and they said, you can also tell how well someone's going to last based on how they tell the story of how they met. So if you ask the couple like, oh, how did you guys meet? Based on if they say in like a lighthearted way, if they jump in on, oh no, baby, it happened like this. Or if one person is just saying the other person's staying silent. And I was like, that's actually really fascinating to see. And so now I'm very conscious. If anyone ever asks me, I'm like, I'm putting in like excitement and energy because um, I think it's really good to keep going back to your roots of where you as a couple first started and keep that energy alive. Yeah, I've noticed that in sessions when I ask couples about their relationship history, couples that are in happy relationships tend to remember and share their positive memories. And they also frame their difficulties or struggles in the relationship from a place of learning. They talk about how they've grown from their struggles and how they draw strength from that. And in couples who only share negative memories and have difficulty remembering the positive memories, that's when you know that negative negativity is starting to outweigh the positive in a relationship. And usually this escalation of negativity happens gradually and slowly. And it happens over time. And you start to express less interest in each other's lives. You show less appreciation. You compliment each other less and less. And you'll slowly start to notice their flaws and start to entertain more and more negative thoughts about each other. And without that open communication and repairs, before you know it, you're feeling a lot of resentment and frustration. You'll feel like you've fallen out of love and lost the spark. And um, you'll start this cycle of negativity and distance that really doesn't turn around without effort. So we have to retrain our minds by starting to focus on our partner's strength and positive traits. And we have to start making repairs by making efforts to connect and communicate openly and show appreciation and love for each other. It's really interesting. Um, we've been talking about some of the Gottman Institute's research, um, and they found that in stable, healthy relationships, the ratio of positivity to negativity during conflict is five to one. And then during interactions outside of conflict, it's closer to 20 to one. So for every one negative interaction, there need to be 20 positive ones. And then in unstable relationships that are headed towards separation, that ratio is closer to one to one. So Ooh. for every so yeah, that's one negative interaction for every positive interaction. And those are the couples that don't last. So this means that for every one negative interaction during conflict, you need at least five positive interactions to balance it out if you want to keep your relationship stable and healthy. And those five positive interactions are the repairs that we've been talking about, the, their efforts at reconnecting, their turning towards and just slowing down and, and, and showing that you care about each other. Girl, I'm so I'm so obsessed with stats, um, and that is so impactful. What would you then suggest? Because I like I love stats; it, it wakes me up. And then I go, well, now how do I use that stat to benefit my life? So when I think about people at home, it's like having a relationship for 20, 30, for the rest of your life is difficult. We change, we grow, we're always evolving. So to me, I put so much time and attention into my marriage, into my relationship. Um, 
and addressing the things that are wrong instead of putting blinders on. And so if people, and look, that's that's worked very well for me in my relationship. And so taking those stats, what would you suggest people do? Is it kind of stepping back and saying, all right, I've just heard this stat from Jordan. Do I stop and just assess myself for like a week and go, how many times am I criticizing my partner? How many compliments did I give them? And vice versa. And then go, oh, it's like two to one and kind of like snap yourself awake. Like how do we actually then take that data and go, let's use this to benefit our relationship. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easier easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Yeah, I think it's it's the little things that you do every day that matter. And it's, it's the little stuff that adds up over time and can make a really big difference. And that's also the preventative work that you can do in relationships. So it's the everyday little things like complimenting your partner, expressing appreciation, reaching out to show affection and creating small rituals of connection throughout your day, like giving a hug and kiss every time you leave the house and when you come back home. And I'm not sure who first came up with this idea, but there's a metaphor that I love that is the emotional bank account. 
So every relationship has an emotional bank account and you can make deposits into this account every time you listen with your full attention. Every time you keep your promises, when you show affection, when you make repairs, when you do something nice for the other person, when you make deposits by doing things that build support and love and trust in the relationship. And then you make withdrawals every time you criticize or break a promise or when you don't look up from your phone when your partner's talking to you, when you turn away, when you don't respond. And your account balance usually determines how you feel about the relationship. It indicates how well you communicate and how well you resolve conflict. And it's an indicator of the health of your relationship. So you want to make as many deposits as possible into your relationship's emotional bank account to pull from when you're going through a rough patch or when you're going through a hard time or when you're in conflict. And so it's just, it's the small things over time that really do add up and make a big difference. Do you also hold the account details of your partner? Because what I actually loved of what you said is you look at your own deposits, right? What are you putting into the relationship? What are you taking out of the relationship? That was so strong. And then it started to make me feel like, should we do that for our partners as well? Or is that like now a trap where people are like, look, see, I've written down you've only made like one deposit like is that a good strategy do you think a bad strategy yeah i don't think that that is really helpful because that can bring resentment but if you're noticing that you're needing um more deposits you're needing more attention affection your positivity from your partner that's a really great conversation that you can have together and um that way you're both conscious and aware of how how can we show each other more love how can we be making more deposits and so framing that in more of a positive way because i don't think the the scorekeeping is is helpful i know that's why i was like it really is helpful for yourself but it almost does the complete opposite when you do it for them yeah yeah yeah, I love it. Um, I also heard a quote from yours that's super interesting. You said, a lot of conflicts come from not feeling seen or heard. And when we don't feel seen or heard, we don't feel loved. Um, that was so strong because we're talking about a lot of elements here and what make up a successful relationship. Um, and it kind of comes, comes all the way back around to feeling valued, feeling validated, wanting to be seen, having every right to ask to be seen. Um, and then if that is the one thing that falls down, then you actually do not feel loved. Like that's so strong. So how do you um, ask to be seen? How do you ask to be heard? Well, and I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the, the five love languages by Gary Chapman. Um, but the whole premise of that is that we tend to give love in the way that we like to receive it. And sometimes um, we're needing to receive love in a little bit of a different way than it's being shown. And, and so just having a conversation with your partner about, hey, I'm needing to, to feel more appreciation and love from you. And, and, this is, and this is how I would really like to be loved. And it's okay to ask for that. And it's okay to, um, to, act, to ask, hey, can we, can we have some more conversations? Can we go on a walk every evening and just talk? Um, because I, I want to get to know you better. And I want you to get to know me better. And I want to stay curious about each other's inner worlds and what's going on with us. So where's the fine line between asking your partner to reciprocate all these things that you've said, hey, I want to go for a walk, you know, once a day. That's something that I actually really need to feel connected to, to feel seen, to be heard. And they turn around and they say, well, want that that's way too much. You're being very needy. I can't give that to you. And then it becomes, I think, a struggle between how they see it and then how you see it. 
Yeah, well, and I think in, in a, you know, a healthy relationship, you care about each other. You care about each other's feelings and needs. So if one person is feeling like I, I need to be more connected to you, then it's just a really important conversation to have of, of this is what can we do to help you to feel more loved and safe and, and connected. And, um, and it's, it's, you know, I think a lot of times we feel guilty, like we shouldn't have to ask for that validation or appreciation or love or, or to have to ask to um, do activities that help us to feel more connected, but it's totally okay to ask. And it's so important to ask because otherwise we end up, like we talked about before, brushing things under the rug, we end up feeling disconnected and more distant. And so it's, it's, you know, if they're not wanting to do that, then, you know, we need to have a conversation about, you know, do we really care about each other? Are we really staying curious mm -hmm. about each other's inner worlds? And um, are we showing empathy for each other's needs? Because if not, then, then that's, that's an issue. There are so many little ruptures every day, whether it's just, you know, that moment of not turning towards each other that we talked about. And, um, that's totally normal in relationships, but the, the whole, like what makes the biggest difference is, um, is repairing how we repair those ruptures and do we turn towards each other and do we, you know, when we're feeling disconnected, make that those efforts to reconnect and, um, whether it's in conflict or outside of conflict, that's so important. And is that a discussion that you would have with your partner and say, Hey, do we, are we committed to making the repairs of these ruptures? Yeah. And, and just having a conversation, like knowing what ruptures and repairs are. Right. So it's like, what, what is a rupture? It's a, you know, it's a moment of disconnection or an emotional wounding and they can be really small. They can be really big, big, big ruptures are more of like attachment injuries, um, where there's been a huge break in trust, but the little ones could just be like, not, not maybe someone not showing empathy or um, not asking you how your day was when you expect them to. That could be a rupture. And um, so when ruptures happen over and over again without repair, you slowly disconnect and build those protective walls. And that's when you start to see more resentment and anger and, and apathy and doubt coming up in a relationship. Because if there's a lot of repeated ruptures and wounding, it damages the emotional bond and you don't feel safe anymore. And so like we talked about our our subconscious is always looking at, does the other person care? Are they there for me? Can I trust them? And, um, and so if we don't repair it, like it, it hurts the, the trust and the intimacy and it's kind of like a slow burn with more distance over time. And so, um, yeah, finding emotional like completion after conflict or negativity and hurts, um, the, if we don't, the resentment builds up. And so we kind of have to emotionally digest, you know, these issues together and create emotional safety and reconnect to move forward. So repairs are just, you know, it's a way to just shift the energy and reconnect and to show that you love each other. But well, I've got, got a question for you, Jordan. Like, I'm still, let's just keep going, girl, because this is fascinating. Um, is, um, is it ever too far gone? Is a, a um, rupture so bad that there is no repair you know it depends on if there's a, um, a willingness to repair on both parts um i mean the biggest rupture maybe you could see be seen as infidelity that's one that is a huge rupture because there's a huge that's a you know i call that an attachment wound like rupture is 
you know, there's a rupture, but even when it's that deep, it's an attachment wound. And that's, those are really, really tough to get through. And it is possible if both are willing to make the efforts to repair, if both are, if, you know, the person who um, maybe was the one who did that behavior and ruptured the relationship um, is willing to take responsibility and cares about the other person and cares to repair. And if both are willing to repair, it's possible, but it takes a lot of effort and it's not, not easy to do. And so like we, we've talked about repairs, like the, the positivity turning towards each other every day, there are ways to repair, you know, every day with the little ruptures. And those are the deposits to the emotional bank account. And, um, during conflict is the best time to make repairs. It's a way to shift the energy and reconnect and remember that you love each other and how you repair depends on the nature of the rupture, but just simple ways of repairing are showing your attention, expressing curiosity and affection, maybe reaching out to hold their hand and saying how much you appreciate them, doing something nice for them, making them food, saying I love you. There are lots of different ways to repair and it's hard to do. It can be really hard to do in conflict when we're wanting to pull away, when we're feeling hurt, but those are the times when it's most important to repair. And so it, it looks different, whether it's during conflict or just the everyday repairs or deposits or um, after conflict, it looks a little bit different, but it's just bringing in more of that connection and care and positivity is what makes a big difference. Uh, yeah, I love that so much. And my husband and I have a rule that like, if we're in conflict, um, whoever can become emotionally sober first, normally I'm the one that needs to walk away. I need the 20 minutes, like what you said, I need to regroup myself and then I come back in the room. And so usually if we're in conflict and I walk out the room, whoever is able to emotionally get sober first, we've made a pinky swear with each other that you walk into the room, whoever's, again, whoever's in the mood first, walk into the room and go, baby, and if you listen to this on podcast, I put my arms up straight in the air and I smile and I scream it like with that voice. Even when we're mad at each other, even when we're livid with each other, we've made a deal that one of us must do it. And it works like a charm because the second, even if you're mad at them, the second someone walks in and does that, it's like, wow, he's willing to put it all aside. And he's like, he's happy. He's got his arms up. The tone of his voice is welcoming and it shifts the mood immediately. Now, the only problem is sometimes you don't feel like responding, right? You're like, no, 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 I'm still hurt. I'm still upset by you. Um, and so once that happened and I did the baby and he was still pissed and I said, I said, we made a deal. You know how hard it is for me to break out and for me to do the baby. We agreed you can never push back because it's hard to be the first person to do that. And we agreed that if someone does, the other person must reciprocate. And I said, you've just broken our deal. You must. Resist. And then of course I got mad. So then he was like, baby, I'm like, now I'm mad. And it became like this, this like back and forth for three times. And then at the end, after like the third time, we're like, okay, this is ridiculous. We both are just, you know, trying to make it better. We're trying to heal. We're trying to, you know, repair this wound. And we're like, kind of like actually opening the wound more and more. So let's do it together. One, two, three, we did the baby and then we solved our problem. <laughs> I love that you found that fun way to to make repairs you're doing it naturally and we do it naturally without realizing that we're doing it but sometimes when we put language to it it gives context and then we can be more conscious to look out for do we need a repair has there been a rupture and how does that happen and and you can plan like like you you've made that decision like this is how we repair this is how we show each other i'm trying to make a repair right now and you can even just say i'm trying to i'm trying to reconnect i'm trying to make things better this is really hard for me but i'm trying to show you that i that i love you right 
and some couples come up with like a code word, like giraffe or, you know, like a watermelon or just something silly. That's like an inside joke. And that humor can really help to, to break the ice and to, to bring you back together and remind each other, we love each other. This is why we're here together. It's totally normal to experience times of disconnection in our relationships. A lot of the people think that we shouldn't have conflict. We have these beliefs from childhood or just from society that we shouldn't have conflict that, um, and so we, so we avoid it or we feel like there's something wrong, but it's totally normal to experience conflict. There's totally, it's totally normal to experience times of disconnection in your relationship. And we usually go through cycles of connection and disconnection cycles of closeness and more distance. And that's pretty normal, but it does take work to reconnect when there's distance or if you're feeling disconnected, because we can't expect to see a change in the relationship if we're not changing our thoughts and words and our actions and patterns of communicating and interacting and making efforts to show each other that we love that we love each other. That's fantastic. Um, there's something that I heard you say where I was like, oh, we've got to talk about this because again, it goes to like the nuance of the, the comment. So I've heard you actually say that um, there, are, there are certain fundamental needs that every single human need that every human needs. And there's two that I pulled out and it was actually an Instagram post that you did. And there's two, one was certainty and the other one was uncertainty. And so I was like, that is so amazing that they contradict each other and yet you need both. And in a relationship, I think we look for for certainty. And the second there is uncertainty, it makes us feel unnerved in the relationship. So how do we take the fundamental needs as a human of the uncertainty of growing um, and yet use that as a strength in our relationship instead of pot- potentially a weakness. Yeah, and there is there's, there's a balance, right? Because we want to feel a sense of safety and emotional security in a relationship. But at the same time, if there isn't any sort of uncertainty, and uncertainty can look like a lot of different things. It can look like um, surprises, like that we're going on a surprise date, you know, that that's, that's the fun sort of uncertainty that it's really healthy to have a good balance of that. And uncertainty in the sense that we also like recognizing we don't know everything about each other. I've been in a relationship with someone for eight years and we're still learning about each other every day. And so there's, there's that balance between the certainty and the uncertainty. And when there's a lot of uncertainty, especially in our external world, in our environment, especially this last year, year and a half, there's been a lot of uncertainty in the world. Um, Our relationships can help to buffer us from that when we create a sense of safety and certainty and um, in the relationship. But there's a balance. There's a balance to everything. Um, Girl, where can people find you, everything you're doing, all the impact you're having on the world? Where can people follow you? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at the.love.therapist. My website is jordanandrea.com. I have a an awesome membership community where we have courses and live webinars and guest workshops and Q&As and peer support groups. Um, that, and I call that the love group. And you can find that on my website or through my Instagram amazing guys 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 go check out her stuff go join the love group and if you're not following me follow me at lisa bill if this episode brought you value please please do share subscribe and i want you to comment in the comment box below what was the one piece of fire advice this woman gave you that you're going to use today in your life guys until next time be the hero of your own life peace out